0: host Dimitri Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast my name is Dmitry Filipovich and joining me here in studio on this sunny Thursday is my good buddy Kevin Woodley. Kevin what's going on man? Not much not much
1: it's uh just I mean we're on the eve potentially of a cup final it That's feels right. like a little crazy to me I think this is you know not to get ahead of ourselves here but if Vegas wraps this up somewhat quickly in the Western Conference. This would be the first time ever that I will have done second round conference finals and cup final goalie previews in the same calendar month, which is a really nice boon for the, uh, you know, the old uh, invoicing for the month of May to set me up for the summer. Well, it's also
0: fresh on the mind.
1: Yeah, but it's just like... Like, it's just, I don't know, i a little surprised at how quickly this has gone in no, this round in particular, obviously. It's
0: definitely spread through. Okay, we got you in studio today. We're going to have an honest, nuanced conversation about goalies. Uh, and in particular, goalie stats, because I think I want to discuss our ability to use them in a fashion that accurately evaluates them and then quantifies their impact. And... We're going to talk about both series, the goalies involved, kind of what's been happening and how the types of shots they've been facing, whether the public metrics we're seeing are representative of it. And I think a great entry point in that conversation for us is this Hurricanes-Panthers series, right? Because it feels like the narrative coming out of it fresh off of last night's sweep by the Panthers is... Well, the Hurricanes got goalied, right? They ran into a hot goalie, Bobrovsky, stuttering his head for the second series now after what he did to the Leafs as well in round two. And you kind of raise your hands in the air and go, well, what can you do? You run into a goalie like this in a playoff environment. He's the best player at the most valuable position. There's not much you can do. And I don't know about you, but I just find that to be such an uh, unsatisfying way to think about it. Maybe you as a member, card-carrying member of the goalie union disagree and you do think that this is is as simple as the Hurricanes just had no chance because of the level Bobrovsky was playing at. But in our kind of conversations off-air that we've had throughout this postseason, I think we are sort of on the same page about maybe some of the gaps between some of these numbers we're seeing and how they're being used and how they're being reported and that not necessarily being completely accurate. Yeah, I just
1: think, um, listen, like the playoffs are a time of hyperbole right? Like where storylines and narratives go crazy. And I think like, I'm kind of caught here, right? Cause Bob's on a heater, man. And yeah. Bob is fun to watch right now. Right? And he reminds me when I look at sort of the technical, you know, the power, the precision, the way he's moving. Um, like this is peak Bob and peak Bob at his best. Like this, this was a guy who there's a reason he's got two business, yeah. right? Like he's that good. Um, and yet, some of the stuff we've seen publicly, some of the public numbers, like, I can't, what was what were the numbers on game one? I can't remember off the top of my head, but like, it was something like... They had the Hurricanes
0: say, at like 7.2 or 7.3 expected goals, which was essentially two games worth, right? There were four over the Yeah, of course, but they're basically saying he saved like five plus. Yes, and they had the Panthers at like four or something. And yeah, I, to my mind, it was about as even a game as you're going to see.
1: Bang on, exactly. Yeah. Like the And again, not saying these metrics are better, but um, they've certainly got more detail. They've certainly got more sort of layers of measurement in terms of shot quality. And they had both teams, I think around top of my head, I don't have it in front of me, I'm pretty sure it's right around 5.85 expected goals. And for, game uh, for game one. For game one, and that game alone. And obviously, the difference between the goalies was the overtime winner. Like, right up until then, they're, they're dead even. Bob says 3.85, and Freddie ends up around 2.85. Like, they were, they were almost a dead heat. And obviously, there were points in that game where one team controlled play and created a lot more. Um, but I thought at other points, you know, the, the Hurricanes did the same. And so, um, or sorry, Florida did the same, and, and Freddie was really good. So it's, I just think some of the... You know, and this probably goes to a little bit about how Carolina attacks, and I'm sure you want to get into that oh, yes. as well. But um, you know, I think there are some nuances within those public metrics relative to the private that get lost a little bit. And at the end of the day, none of it changes the fact that Bob was fantastic. He like, was fantastic. It's just the level of fantasticness, according to some of the public data, sort of like like we're getting into like some absurd sort of territory and the reality is i think it was absurd
0: i mean ultimately it doesn't necessarily matter in the sense that the panthers won the series right right so this kind of uh the semantics conversation of was he just good was he really good or was he a pantheon level hashek-esque performance it's like it makes for fun conversation fodder, right, on on Twitter to talk about it. Ultimately, it doesn't necessarily take away from from the result or change it in any way. I do, you know, for the postseason, he's got a 9.34 save percentage. Now, 9.66 in this series against Carolina, gave up the six goals in four games. Now, according to Natural statric, expected goals in this series were 18.9 by the Hurricanes to 13.7 for Florida, which means that Bob had a 12.9 goal save above expected in four games, which, to my eye, seems high and inflated and I'll give you a few other numbers that kind of sorry s- how many did they, ha- they had them at they had the hurricanes at 18.9 for the series expected goals which puts Bob because he gave up six goals at 12 point9
1: you know it's not it's not that far off um, I just pulled it up you know last with last night's included and you know it's it's basically has has um, it has sorry f- Carolina right around 15 expected goals and giving up six so it's nine you know, like that's a difference for sure. So he saved right. nine in the series in four games. Like nine goals that's in four lot. games is freaking remarkable. Even and, that seems to me a bit, a bit and, high. And it's five. You know, like it, it's essentially five games, right? right. Because of the because yes. of game one and the length of it. But um, yeah, yeah, but that's what the numbers are here. So let
0: me give you a few metrics on this because I've I tracked all these games. So you you need, need me to, to get
1: into time. timely saves because he made a team. bunch.
0: He made a bunch of very clutch saves, no doubt about it. Okay, scoring chances for this series by my count: sixty-one for Carolina. Sixty for the Panthers through four games, so there was one scoring chance separating these two teams.
1: Yeah, I got uh, high high percentage chances if we want to call that. I wasn't you, you, I wasn't differentiating between. Yeah. I just, okay, so mid and mid and high combined. Um, you know, I I have. Um, you know, I'm just trying to look here. So this is I got Florida at around sixty-two. Yep. And I said I said at 60, Carolina. So is 42
0: so florida was had significantly more high danger chances yes yes okay well here's an explanation for that for the series percentage of shots for each team taken by defensemen so who accounted for the for the shots 46 percent of carolina's shot attempts were by their defensemen in most games it was shea burns and pesci leading the charge 34% 34% for Florida. In the final two games where I had the scoring chances 27-22 for the Panthers, Carolina forwards took two more shots total than the Florida forwards. So it was basically even. All of the all the stats you'll see about how, you know, Carolina had significantly more shot attempts and shot on goals and dominated possession and spent more time in the Panthers' zone is the only difference between the two teams in my opinion is that the Hurricanes defenseman just took significantly more shots. And you and I have had a lot of conversations here over the season about how, especially point shots by defensemen, are the most inefficient form of offense, right? Okay,
1: now they're not always the most inefficient, because this goes back to our discussion on Vasilevsky and screens and dips and traffic. Like, there are types of screenshots with... With def- if you add a deflection to a screen and a layered screen, like you can get up to 40% on a scoring chance, but you have to have guys actually in front of the opposing goaltender and adept at tipping those pucks, and I don't think Carolina had either. Like Bob had sight lines all series.
0: Also, I, I, yeah, the Florida Pan, uh, Panthers defenseman did a great job. I also think, though, that there's a difference, differentiating a point shot between ones where the defenseman is moving towards the middle of the ice and giving more of a... Uh, more options or more vantage points for tips, right? Something like the, the stars throughout the year do so well. Whereas some of these hurricanes point shots where it's someone like literally standing right beside the blue line up against the boards and just firing a shot with no real angle at it. And that's much more difficult, I think, to establish that, that sort of tip opportunity and create for, further rebounds. I had point shots in this series of five on five, Kevin, at 82 to 31 for Carolina. They took 51 more point shots than the Panthers and so I would generally view those as about like a one to two percent chance of going in so when you see a lot of these save percentages a lot of these inflated numbers I do think taking that into a con- into context helps explain a lot of this and I, I I agree with you about the point about the tips and deflections and screens I view a lot of this like if you watch when they're down one they're trying to create a goal and it's just a lot of hope plays from the point to me that is not an offensive strategy
1: no and and here interestingly enough like there is there is one screen chance that is a really low percentage chance and that's the single player offensive screen. Mm. Goalies can manage one guy right. in front of them unless that guy's really good at moving through those lanes as a defenseman does forcing a goalie to pick a side and then and then you know basically moving out of the way right as that shot is coming after you've gotten him to commit like a single person offensive screen um like that's that is the kind of thing that uh, goalies typically feast on, and that's the type that Carolina generated the most. Um, there wasn't enough. Uh, I'm looking at Bob sort of uh, like his, you know, his, his, he only faced 14, only faced 14 screenshots. Out of all those point shots, yeah. only 14 would be classified as, yeah, as, as, you know, they were very as manageable screened. for him. Yeah. So with sure. a, without, like we said, without that traffic in front, you're right. They're one percenters, and there was too much of that.
0: So, where I do think the Hurricanes were unlucky, I, I I fully agree that all four games of the sweep were essentially 50-50 coin flips. I think they could have gone in either way. I've said that. And and it's unlucky that they didn't win at least one of those to extend the series, right? Particularly the two overtime games, they very easily could have won one of those and then this series gets extended and anything can happen. The other is, and, and I don't know how much of this Bob deserves credit for versus how much of it Carolina deserves blame or it just being randomness. But over the past couple of years, and particularly this season we saw Bob give up a lot of goals on shots that were necessarily high-danger shots, right? Like, bad ones beat him, squeak through, and that did not happen in this series either, right? So it's one thing to say that Carolina's offense was entirely predicated on low-percentage shots, but if the goalie's not playing well, sometimes those do go in or you get lucky and they bounce off of someone and into the net, and that happened a couple times. In game four, right, there was one, like, a stick breaks, pops up in the slot for Taravine, and he buries a high percentage chance. The other one off the post that sneaks behind him and then Stasny t- taps it in. And that by the, happens.
1: By the time you get to an Eastern Conference final, it's probably not against a goalie that it's going to happen against.
0: Yeah, but it didn't wind up happening in the first three games, really, in particular. And so I guess that that's a point that needs to be made here, right?
1: Yeah, and listen, like I talked, like I'm joking about timely saves because I know, um, you know, from an analytics standpoint, we don't necessarily love talking about those things. But you look at when they did create high danger, like he made some incredible stops. I mean, I think of the one where he goes, he reaches a little bit and out of, you know, out of the sort of the you know, quote unquote pre-scout breakdown um, him being really active with his stick was something you had to be cognizant of. The only time it really becomes a weakness is when he reaches around to his glove side to try and cut off a pass. Cause obviously that, you know, to reach your stick across your body pulls you away from that side of the net. And in theory that delays your ability to get back into that space. But he reaches, he misses the pass gets through and he still gets back to onaho like and and there's elements there that like Bob style um the the blocker. You know, a trend well, we can talk about the blocker trend we'll and teams going after. Yeah. But that willingness to drop his stick to prioritize his blocker coverage and filling space rather than having a stick in his hands is something that is somewhat unique to him and we saw that in that example like if he holds on to his stick does he get that blocker across does it get caught up in somebody in front of him is it the extra weight as much as sticks weigh almost nothing these days is that enough to slow it that fraction of a second like there are things he does when he's on that are just at another level and in big moments at tough times um he he did those things like to the nth degree, like, you know, there weren't a lot of mistakes. He didn't make a lot of mistakes, and he made a lot of really nice, really difficult saves. You know, they weren't all that way. Carolina had a tendency to funnel pucks into the middle of the net on some tough chances rather than making him go all the way across his crease. Um, but, man, like, he was good. So i got to be careful because I'm sort of a little counterintuitive on some of the public numbers, and you push back a little bit on how good he was. Right. But, dude, he was good.
0: He, he was, was fantastic. so good. He was absolutely fantastic. So good. I, I just, like... So one of the plays, which I'm sure comes across as a very high-danger attempt, because it certainly was, in Game 2 really sticks in my mind. It was the one Marty Natchez makes a couple sweet dangles, gets open, and then instead of taking a low-percentage shot, does exactly what we want more from the Hurricanes, which is it wasn't necessarily an east-west pass through the slot line, it was right into the inner slot to Tebo Teravainen, who redirects it onto net, and... In the moment, it's like, what an athletic save by Bobrovsky to get across. And it was. It was. And then you go back and watch it. Middle and of the net. he man. didn't really get across because if the shot was placed well, he was not covering the far post. He didn't get across all the way. The shot was right into the middle of the cage, and so he was able to block her aside.
1: And that's the one thing about Bob. If you can get him to widen out from his tall to his narrow stance as you get into the slot area and then go east-west on him because he will play paint outside the lines, I call it. He plays outside of the blue ice because he's got the speed to recover that position. But we saw Toronto take advantage of it where they would freeze him outside of the blue ice and then go east-west and, and end up with Tappins. This wasn't quite that situation, but he was that far out. And so the way to target that is, is by making those passes because he has a further distance to cover than a goalie who like Aiden Hill who is right. never outside of his crease unless he's fallen. Right? Like he is always, you know, Sean Burke style, everything is goal line out. Um, But with Bob, that's how you score on him because he's got such a distance to cover. But if you don't make him go all the way to the far post, that distance is essentially cut in half. And that was an example. Now, listen, really easy for me to say, like, execute that one touch pass. Of course, yeah. But there's a rule of thumb as goaltenders like empty nets, empty six by fours. Yeah. If somebody has an empty net, the first thing you do as a goaltender, you're first sort of priority is to get something into the middle of it because chances are that guy's not picking a corner. He's putting it right into it. It's just human nature. They don't want to miss around the edges. So they go into the middle and as great as that save was and it was like if you look at the power the rotation the way he moved across the fact that he had an active blocker he wasn't coming across in a block the early eyes on the rotation and the push he made like it's textbook goaltending and Sergei Bobrovsky executing textbook goaltending but in order to take advantage of the way he plays positionally on the initial pass you also have to execute with a shot that's into the far side of the net they didn't they put it in the middle they gave him a chance and the way he's playing right now if you give him a chance he's making a
0: save okay well one more point on Bobrovsky before we kind of transition into more of a big picture theoretical perspective about this because I have a lot of questions that I want to run by you as well that I've been thinking about. You mentioned uh, Henrik Lundqvist talking about this on the TNT panel. I think at the start of the series, maybe it was between the Leafs and the the Hurricanes matchups where he was noting how um, Bobrovsky holds his stick and how that influences the placement of his blocker and how that ties into his ability to make some of these saves, right? And I'm going to let you go on more of this in a second, but I'm just curious about because then, then Henrik Lundqvist kept talking after about how the way to beat him, of course, is to just buzz the tower, right? Like, you need to shoot up high and try to pick those corners. And obviously, that's the kryptonite for every single goalie in today's game, right? If you perfectly place a shot just below the bar, it will no, probably I, he, go in more often okay, than he, not. Yeah,
1: more often than not. But I'll, but I will. I will... Before we get to Bob's blocker, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a little counterpoint okay. on that. Like, and, and this has come up in a lot of sort of the, the NHL.com previews that I do, and I know it comes up in conversations around the league with what goalie coaches are telling shooters, um, especially on the glove side. Uh, if you, goalies and the sort of the modern goaltending technique, and I shouldn't say modern because not everybody does it, but like that fingers up glove positioning, where you're almost, the fingers are pointing straight up, Um, as you hold that glove out in front of you, almost like you, if you can imagine you were telling someone to stop at a crosswalk, like you're, you're reaching your hand out, um, versus what I would consider more of a handshake position where you're holding that, that hand and that glove, very neutral, almost Mm -hmm. like reaching to someone, um, to shake their hand. if you see fingers up position, other other than right around the ear cuz the tendency is you drop into butterflies to lower it and then you got to go back up with it but a lot of guys like we saw Grubauer in the first round like just sitting and I covered that series but just like sitting on Rantanen and at times McKinnon high glove mm-hmm. with the fingers up position and just not just not moving it and they kept shooting to that spot and he he didn't move it just went right in there right, like, right. so shooters are taught that if you see fingers up glove position you know, just go over the pads because that's a very difficult rotation to turn to that, that ground, hand down. Yeah. And so that's part of the evolution of the give and take of goaltending and shooters and that back and forth and, and that chess game that goes on. And I think even in that Seattle series with Grubauer, uh, McKinnon on a breakaway quick shot from above the hash marks. Where does he go? He goes low glove and Grubauer doesn't, you know, at a time when Grubauer was just absolutely sensational, doesn't make that save. So, yes. Routing pucks around goalie's ears and going bar down is a great way to score, especially if you get them moving. It's the difference between a goalie being set and staring at you as you come in a straight line and being able to sort of keep those hands out in front of him versus when he moves that tendency to drop the hands to his side or lose access to his hands as he moves. That's where you got to route pucks. We talked about Akira Schmidt, right? Like the Rangers had the right idea. And then they kept going back to high glove, but on plays where he was set and the fingers were up and they kept shooting it right into his glove, the time to shoot glove on him was when you got a moving pre-shot. And then they kept shooting low in those situations and the glove was down over the pad because he was in more of a blocking mode. Like they just, they basically had the concept, they just flipped when to do each one. And so these things matter. So the one thing about Bob is he will maintain... Those active hands. And right now, is like you saw the glove save the other night, like he never moved it. Like he's feeling it and reading the game at the point right now that any sort of quote unquote weakness is like, man, it's relative because right. he's on a heater. Yes. But watch when he moves. Like even that glove save, or the blocker save we talked about where they didn't pick a corner, they went to the middle of the net. Watch how active that is. He keeps it out in front of him. Uh, the way he holds his stick, we got an article up at com right now. Uh, it's something we've talked to him about in the past. Other Russian goalies have imitated. Ilya Sorokin has got that. It, it's what we call a slope shoulder on the paddle, so it's it looks like it's shaved down, but CCM actually makes it for Bob like that, um, and it allows you to hold that stick lower, and in a way that allows you to sort of maintain a really good wrist cock and prevent pre- present sorry present that blocker nice and square. A lot of goalies that hold it you know on a more traditional steeper uh, shoulder paddle, they'll end up with their blocker almost turned to the shooter a little bit on an angle. And I thought Lundqvist did a great job of explaining mm. this. Um, and they're making saves almost they have a tendency then to sort of turn with the blocker and make saves almost not behind them but more parallel to them rather than having it squared up and and cutting pucks off in front of you like Bob does and so um, yeah you you need to route pucks high on him but when he's as active as he is right now like we saw him in the Toronto series where he'd have that blocker out in front and if a puck was going highly he's actually lifting himself up almost leaping at times into it like he's just reading the game exceptionally well now um, but that to me, the one part about that blocker thing was, yeah, in the first round and we lose sight of this, like he was below expected in that series against, against Boston. Boston. Yep. He finished below expected. Right. Um, and part of that might've
0: also been like, he, there was came, a pretty came in cold hadn't played,
1: hadn't now. played in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but Boston, I think scored eight times mid to high blocker. Mm-hmm. And I, You know it's funny because I know uh, Elliot Freeman highlighted on the Hockey Night broadcast and reached out like asked for some numbers, and yeah, sure enough, in the first round, uh, he had the numbers that eight were the most any goalie given up in the first round, and eight was high for Bob. And when I I started to look back into my historical numbers, like like blocker side is not a problem for this guy, and 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 anecdotally, if you combine anecdotally with the that I test and what I know about the way he. Prioritize blocker coverage. Like a lot, the thing that makes the difference between a blocker and a glove for a goalie is a blocker is also responsible for the stick, mm. and you have to prioritize right. one or the other at times. Bob prioritizes block. his blocker over his yep. stick, and so Toronto kept going to like remember Matthews early in that series. They kept trying to beat him blocker side, yeah, and he just he was just ate like punching it, it out up, like yeah. he was all over those shots and everything. I had anecdotally said you should be shooting glove. Again, right now, there's no weaknesses on Bob. But yeah. everything I had, when a guy's on a heater, the last thing you want to do is play to his strengths. And I don't know if it was based on the first round numbers or what, but they kept going after it. Well, they had and, a lot of
0: success with it against uh, against Vasilevsky in the previous round.
1: Yeah, of course. And maybe that's just a – con. but Bob ain't Vasilevsky, yeah. right? Like, there's a, We talk – go watch how they hold and how their blocker mm-hmm. presents relatively. Um, and the other thing, too, is like – Vasilevsky's number—if you make him move to his blocker side, um, goals more goals go in from that side of the ice. Bob's the polar opposite. Like I was looking at some of the splits, and I, I would, some of them were shocking. Like his expected save percentage relative to shot quality—if you're shooting from the glove side of the ice versus the blocker, like mirror points on the ice, one side to the other, um, the numbers are through the roof glove side compared to blocker side and so that tendency to go after it and attack from his right um you know hey listen sometimes that's just where you're going to get chances sometimes that's where the strength of your team is in terms of making plays to that side of the ice and you're not going to go away from your strengths but man i felt like they really went after his strengths and he had an answer for all of them
0: this needs to be a, uh, a video show we should be petitioning to be on tv with the pediocast when we have you in the studio there's a lot even though i
1: now have my tooth back in and fully replaced and no more giant stupid gap um i've been told i still have a face for radio i know
0: but i feel like all the motions you just displayed there i feel like you did a full like warm-up routine for for i I got a beer
1: league game tonight i'm getting warm (laughs) you're all you're all limber
0: all right uh kevin let's take our break here uh squeeze it in while we can because i got a whole medley of topics that i want to get into with you after that you're listening to the hockey pediocast streaming on the Sportsnet radio network your number one spot for flames coverage can be found on flames talk with me pat steinberg exclusive interviews trusted insiders and the latest news listen live weekday afternoons at four or stream the flames talk podcast on demand we're back here in the hockey PTO cast with kevin woodley and studio kevin we're talking goalies of course um, I wanted to discuss something with you here related to what you just talked about before the break about, um, you know, Bobrovsky's tendencies and maybe preparing for a goalie heading into a matchup and kind of knowing what strengths and weaknesses are, what he forces you to do, right? We talked about that nature to Tara play where a great shot would have beaten him, but because it was just in the middle of the net, he was able to get to it. I want to talk to you about the concept of a team's expected goals against in front of a goalie. Versus the goalie's individual goal save above expected. Okay. Actually, one quick point, Cap. Yeah.
1: Because I want to give Bob credit for that save too, and I know yeah. I already have. Yes, you have. But one of the things that he would have read, and that was you said it was Taravainen, right? Yeah. So, so left-handed shot coming mm-hmm. across. So that would have been part of his read too. Like he knows he has he can take more ice on the left side because of that potential play is not to a one-time option. And a left-handed shot coming across body is more likely to shoot back the other way, so into his coverage, whereas a right hander is more likely to rip that into the far side of the net. So as much as it's, you know, we're being pretty harsh on on Carolina for not executing on that shot as a goalie. Those are the level of detail that these guys read into, and so they will know that it's a much tougher shot for a left-handed sh- for a lefty to complete than it would be you know, a righty, you know, tickling the twine ready for a one T and that tendency to pull the puck as you shoot and go into that far side of the net. So, like, without even having talked to Bob that that was his read, Right. just all the goalies I've talked to over the years, those are the level of details when you're on your game that you are processing in real time. Like, I've done these video sessions with the carry prices of the world and what they pick up in real time. Like, mushroom clouds went off in my mind the first time. And, And those are the types of details that as much as it's like, hey, Carolina didn't execute... I guarantee you, Bob knew that was a left shot on the other side. Okay,
0: we have to keep moving, Kevin. Okay, we have I know, so I know, I just, things to cover. I we apologize. Cannot... So the way we operate right now, right, is Carolina generated a certain number of expected goals. That's how many expected goals against Florida gave up. Bobrovsky gave up six goals in this series. So you subtract the two totals, and that's Bobrovsky's goal save above expected. Right. Right. Now, the reason why we do that. And why we include every single shot into that total, which includes a lot of shots that were either blocked or missed the net, is because the, the theory behind it, and I'm sure you as a member of the goalie union support this one fully because you get extra credit for it, is a goalie's presence or the way they're playing in net forces the shooter's hand, right? It, we hear about how, oh, Bobrovsky was in the head of Carolina shooters in this series. He's playing so well that all of a sudden now they're trying to get too q They're trying to force certain types of shots, and that's why you're either shooting it into shin pads or missing the net entirely, right? And so that's why a goalie gets credit, even though they didn't necessarily even face a shot, for stopping a certain number of expected goals against on that blocked or missed shot. Okay, and so this is yes. So my question for you but is not that, in is, clear is Just that so correct? you know, not in clear sight. Okay. Because, well, because clear the public one definitely, it has, definitely to, it has to hit the net, yes. right? Which
1: some people have an issue with, right? right. Like, that's, that's part of the way they assess it. Um, should a goalie get credit for it? Yeah. Like, in my mind, yeah. Like, like not to go against, like, I, I'm on the goalie union. I need to, of course. Like, if I'm holding my ice and I'm not giving up my position and I'm not, you know, I go back to, uh, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights and Marc-Andre Fleury and one of the reasons that their former goalie coach, Dave Pryor, identified him and he wanted goalies that, That were able to sort of hold their ground in the face of an attack that didn't retreat, that didn't back up. And if you do that, the net, sort of the space a shooter has relative to you and the net, like it gets smaller the closer they get. And for sure, that intimidation of, man, i got to be perfect here, or, man, I don't see anything. How many times you you heard a sh- shooter talk about coming down the wing and looking up, and Vasilevsky's there, and there's nothing. Like, just nothing. So I do think, yeah, that shooters should get credit for forcing misses, to, or goalies should get credit for forcing misses to a certain degree. And I think by the end of that series, like, I don't, I, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that Bob was in their heads, right? Like, you, you feel like you have to do something different to score goals and scoring goals is really hard. If you feel like you got to do something different than you normally would, you're going away from your strengths, Right? then, yeah, you're at a disadvantage.
0: I would argue that Carolina wasn't trying anything different. I think that was part of the problem. They were trying to just jam a square peg into a round hole by point shot after point shot. But we could see, like, on power plays and stuff where they were totally flustered. Like, they just didn't even know. And I think there's an element, like, what we're saying, okay, to Henry Klunkwa's point, you need to shoot high to beat this guy, and you need to like really place it perfectly, and and on that on that redirection we highlighted, um, get rid of it quickly before he can move over and get set. Well, that requires an elevated level of shooting talent, and if you are already at a deficit to begin with, like I feel like a team like the Hurricanes is, then that certainly there is an exaggerated impact and effect on that right it's well, forcing them to all do something sh- out of their comfort level
1: well also all those point shots which are you know as you said i don't want to say useless but can be useless without traffic do you have a team that you know is willing to go take away the eyes and get into those areas and create scrambles and win battles for pucks and second chances against the radko gutuses of the world right um you know not everybody does right and like you said over the course of a season volume wins but but this isn't a season this is a seven game series and Usually, by the time you get to the conference final, you're probably facing a goaltender who's feeling pretty good about his game and isn't going to make as many mistakes. So, how do you force him to make mistakes? You make it difficult for him to see pucks. You throw pucks into traffic that hit bodies and squirt all over the place and win those battles for those. And, you know, again, I don't, whether they tried that, I don't, probably not. There was a little more of it, but I just right. don't think it's in their DNA. So, like, yeah. are you going to change who they are? Ask them to do things that they haven't they done all season. They didn't have the season. personnel to do right, that, right? Exactly, yeah. and the, and this gets into a larger team building thing because the, you know Carolina was what they were on the regular season, yeah. and they dominated defensively, by the way, and yeah. they were even in these like yeah. like Florida didn't generate a whole hell of a lot, um, scored ten goals and sw- and swept a series. Like yes. that's crazy when you consider the number of periods played, but you know they that's that's they played to that identity. Does their identity the other end of the rink offensively? Is that enough? Florida has an identity that seems well-suited to the playoffs, despite, despite the fact they only scored 10 goals in this series, um, and yet was barely enough to even make it. Right. I like. There are two different styles of play here between regular season and playoffs in terms of what works and what doesn't. Sure. We even saw Edmonton and the, by the time they got to the second <laughs> – Power plays, you know, everybody talks about power plays don't disappear in the first. Well, they sure as hell start disappearing by the conference finals.
0: Yeah, and we've seen, and we've seen that in for Florida as well, where they were such a heavily penalized team throughout oh, the regular season. Dude, and, and I'm still trying to figure out how Lomberg down. doesn't get called okay, on the hook that leads to the turnover that leads to the three two goal. I know you're you're contractually obligated to to bring that up, but the point I was making was I, I do think part of this might be also a team defense stat as opposed to just purely in terms of the, the, the public numbers right now, right? If you're just going total expected goals against, minus goals against, and giving all that credit to a goalie, I think part of that is team defense as well. Now, I think we would agree that the game has changed so much over the past handful of years, right? Yeah. Like we've talked about how, um, especially yeah. offensively in terms of approach, shot selection, the way teams are kind of actively trying to create certain types of shots, that has changed so much, right? Part of the issue with the current version of expected goals and the way it's put together is I do think, and and this is more so public ones and obviously the ones that you're referencing, it puts such an emphasis on the location on the ice of where the shot came from and the historical average of what we would expect that shot to be worth, right? right? And I guess the point I'm trying to make or argue here or bring up to you, and I'm curious for your take on it is I just think because of the way the game's changed so much, it doesn't necessarily... The shot itself is almost not irrelevant because a great shot will still beat the goalie on occasion. Yeah, perfect shots are perfect shots. what comes before it, what precedes it, the passing, the type of shot it is, matters so much. And I just think purely just judging a shot's value based off where it came from and what that used to be worth doesn't necessarily apply... To today's game because of what a different offensive landscape it is
1: yeah i mean the there are just there are so many other factors that go into it and i think when you get a massive sample size a lot of those the you could argue and and i've seen it argued that the significance of and listen i'm not a math guy but the significance of those other factors decreases or can become almost negligible over a massive sample size but we're not talking about a massive sample size in the playoffs or in a series, even with a five overtime game, like it's still smaller. And that's where you see the differences are, are that we see in the public numbers. There's, that's not extreme when we've been talking about three, four goals in a series in terms of expected between yes. public and these private ones. Um, but, but that's then, probably ne- the difference in the series, but then, yeah, it's four game series and Then And that we're all by, by one goal. I guess we yeah. are talking about, yeah. the difference. um, but those new those other nuances that those other layers that just and it's not the fault the models that the people build for the public these are really incredibly intelligent people building really good they just don't have the same information Mm -hmm. the extra layers of information that matter when it comes to creating goals to be clear
0: this is the league's fault not the the I mean, yeah, I'm not. Fault, bl- right? I'm not because yeah. like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not critical. Yes.
1: the models and the people that build them are brilliant. No, significant they improvement of what we used have to have. All the information, yeah. right? Like that's, and because it costs money to track that information, significant amounts because it requires significant work. Um, those things stay for the most part behind closed doors because there's a value there that they've established, and that's that's how they make the business work. So, yes, I agree with all those things. Um, you know, I think like there are times, and Aiden Hill's a perfect example of this, where you know, closer to the net without some of the pre shot movement, like that's where he's best, yeah, he right? like yeah. like even me. Crappy beer league guy, you throw a puck two feet in front of me and you don't change angle on it, you can bang that thing off my pads all day. I'll be like Christian Leitner pounding my rebound stats, <laughs> just bang, 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 bang. It's not going anywhere. There's no way to put that through. Like it's, there's just no – I fill the net when the puck is that close. I guess the, the really quick analogy I would make is quite often for goalie coaches, when they look at a goal, it's not – like we all look at the shot that leads to the goal. The mistake on a goalie side, and this is probably why it took a goalie person to sort of dig into the idea of a pre-shot pass going across the ice, but quite often the mistake the goaltender made that led to a goal is two, sometimes three touches before that, where they've taken a wrong position or left themselves caught or not made an efficient movement and then aren't able to catch up. And so that's kind of, if you look at it from the goalie's eyes, it makes sense then that that same information... Uh, in terms of what happens in those two or three touches leads to the quality of the of the final shot
0: yeah, I guess my one final concern or kind of issue with um, adding up expected goals over a game or over a series and kind of using that as a as a baseline expectation for what should have happened is it 's treated as a cumulative stat, right so you you have a certain number of shots over the course of a game they 're each assigned an expected goal value. And then you add that up and that's your total for the game. Then you add up those games for the series and that's what you got, right? But I guess that implies that the shots are related. And I think that's something that has yet to be proven. I'm not I'm not sure how you feel. I'm sure as a goalie you feel that making a bunch of easy saves in the early going improves your likelihood of making a tougher save later on because you're feeling the puck, you're seeing it, you're more comfortable, you're in the zone, whatever, however you want to describe it. Yeah. But Like as a thought exercise, would you rather have four shots from the point that are 0.05 expected goals value or one shot from the slot that is 0.2 expected goals value? I think everyone would agree that the latter is significantly more likely to result in a goal, but at the end of the day, they're technically in the aggregate worth the exact same. And I just... Like fundamentally, that is yeah, untrue.
1: This is the essentially you, so the quantity
0: just, versus quality. I'm taking give me the four give me the four
1: point shots every time because as a goalie, not, yeah, hundred yes. percent. Because I'm feeling really good about myself. I look up at the score clock psychologically and I see four shots as opposed to one. Like there's just so much there that you know from every different level. It's part of why I think Freddie Anderson's job was a little tougher too. Like Carolina is a great defensive team, right? But there were a lot, there's long periods in the playoffs where he doesn't see much. And then all of a sudden there were some moderately difficult saves to be made. I mean, he, f- he faced the same number of high danger chances last night, eight, right? Like, um, there were some tough saves in there and those tough saves psychologically tend to be for a lot of goaltenders. And some goaltenders really struggle with it harder. If you haven't seen a shot in five minutes, you haven't had a chance to feel that 99 percenter from the point you call them one percenters. We call them 99 percenters. Cause I make a save 99% of the time. I I touch the puck. I feel the puck. I feel good about how I'm seeing the puck. And that all builds in a positive manner. It's kind of the flip side of Bob, right? Like Bob's on a heater. You can attack. There are no weaknesses right now. Right. But if you keep playing to his strengths, you just keep reinforcing the confidence that has contributed to that heater. So you might as well try and at least historically attack the things that he hasn't been as good at to see if you can kind of find one crack and build from there on knocking down the confidence he's established over the last two
0: rounds. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's such an interesting thing to to kind of consider how this stuff comes together, right? Like who's taking the shot, where they're coming from. I would recommend highly, I understand a lot of people just want to enjoy a game and have a beer and not necessarily do this, but if you have the time or you are interested, like literally, even if it's just roughly by hand, counting where the shots are like, are like point shot versus rush shot versus whatever... And at the end of the game, looking at that will give you a much better picture of what happened and provide more realistic expectations, I think. Because, right, you take 10-point shots, they wind up equaling one expected goal in value throughout the game. I would argue that you should not expect that to have resulted in a goal. That's just, especially that's, at this point, yeah. Right? Yeah, and yeah. so and so that's where I think there's this this gap between them, and it's something that happened and, all season. And
1: that's where, to go back to the public numbers, like... There is no screen data. There is no data on screens. Right. You know, and and that point shot can be 1% or it can be high as 35% depending on the type of screens. And so that's where that information and that context becomes important in a smaller sample, because it is different if you can get those pucks on net through a bunch of bodies, especially against a guy like Bob, who doesn't look... I mean, he tries to look up and over screens, but he has a tendency, if you get a bunch of bodies in front of him, to go low Mm. and try and look around low. And now, if you have... And this is where I thought they'd have more success. If they forced him into his low stance, with guys like Burns at the point, if you have the talent to sift pucks through that traffic and hit the top quarter of the net you will score against Sergey Bobrovsky, no matter how good he feels about his game right now. But I don't think they ever created the first part in order to take advantage of the ability to maybe execute on the second part. Hmm. And again, this is not... I feel like we're just trying to pick apart Bob. No, like, Bob no, is... No, this isn't even... This, this is, is your Conn Smythe winner right now.
0: This is... Wow. For all you Kachuk people, I, get I out of... I would make of, a strong Kachuk argument. I, I...
1: Who's scoring one goal a game in key times and who's preventing over... We just talked about it, even on the public... Nine goals and four games prevented.
0: I know, but I would say that in this series, like the difference was gloves the, are off now. The games were very close. The difference was that Florida had better finishing talent to convert on their rare opportunities, particularly at the end of games. Now, that this idea of clutch or whatever, however much the talk you want to put into it, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I do think there is a massive gap in shooting talent on these teams. I think. Freddie Anderson in and the games he played was his numbers don't look nearly as good as Bobrovsky's. which We're not really the good. reason this team lost. No. If they had so if you just flip them and you had Freddie Anderson with Florida's shooting talent, I don't I'm not saying it would Carolina would have won four nothing, but I'm saying that I don't think the gap was necessarily as massive as a raw save percentage would indicate, even though what Freddie Anderson had like a nine forty or something in the series. Yeah, he was pretty he was pretty um, damn good too. So I just think the theory behind this stuff and how we're coming to it is more interesting than the actual end-of-day numbers to me. Like, I think some of these questions, even if we still don't have the clarity or the answers, are part of why you and I get together and do this show and talk about it. And so hopefully others find that as interesting as as we do. And for the
1: record, Igor Sisterkin is
0: still the best goalie in the playoffs. Let's talk Stars Golden Knights really quick here. I want to talk Jake Ottinger with you because I don't want it to be perceived as me ducking this topic because I have talked him up quite a bit. When you and I have gotten together, I have placed him in the elite tier. I have raved about his game and my confidence level in him. I guess shame on me for having confidence in any goalie, (laughs) Um, but it's okay. It's okay. You know, this topic of whether he has been overworked and overused and whether that is resulting in some of these numbers that he's posted pretty much since what game three of the Seattle series, um, is an interesting conversation, right? Because we've spent so much time talking about how goalie workload throughout the regular season matters, and how you don't want to give your goalie too many starts. And now we're getting to this point where Jake Ottinger has an eight ninety five save percentage this postseason. Since Game Three of that Kraken series, it's down at eight fifty six. He's been pulled three times, and Sport Logic has his goal save above expected at negative eleven point two in those eight games. Um, do you want to talk a bit about his workload, about whether you've seen stuff in the goals he's given up that you could attribute to that? Um, we, you, You've discussed also on the show about how, uh, particularly in that environment, playing in Dallas, how physically taxing it can be this time of year. And the reason why I bring that up is because we've seen that photo circulating of how skinny Sergey Bobrovsky looks out of his equipment, and people worried for his... <laughs> for his for his health and hey, physical listen,
1: safety, twenty sixteen seventeen. I did a whole article on it. You can look it up at NHL.com, dot com unmasked uh, column that they let me write on goalies. Um, Bob was a conscious effort to like he used to be uh, like I remember I remember that season walking into the Columbus room and being like Holy crap, where'd Bob go? Like where's the rest of him? Because he was a <laughs> physical beast, but he was like too much muscle, I guess. Is yeah. what the And what do you say?
0: Like you lose like ten ten pounds or something of like of water weight over the course of these games?
1: Yeah, I don't know what it is for water weight, but like he consciously purposely, purposely lost 17 pounds in one off season to change the way his body was built. Because remember back then, there were a lot of talks about him not being able to get through a season and all the groin injuries he had. So he changed the way he trained. Uh, He worked with a guy from Finland, Sammy. I can't even, I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name because I'll screw it up. We actually had an article with him too about the focus of their work. Um, And he really, he changed everything about the way he prepared. And so... That sort of physical makeup that we see, as much as it looks extreme after a five-overtime game or after the amount of he's played, like that's on purpose. Maybe not to that degree, but that's on purpose um, because it's limited the injuries he's had since. I think like it's a handful in five years since, and it was like more like five every year to that point in terms of growing injuries. So um, there's that. Listen, with Jake Ottinger, I still believe in Jake as, as, as an elite-level talent, as a right. high-end-level talent but I've kind of said this for a couple of years now. And I think the first round series he had against Calgary last year was so incredible that the expectations became really high. But even up until that point, a lot of his raw numbers in Dallas were not, him isolated from system, they were a product of system. Like it was a very goalie-friendly spot, and that's continued. Again, talked about it with Pete DeBoer. The best thing for DeBoer going into Dallas is that defensive DNA remains a part of that team. Yes, he freed freed the reins, but they know how to take care of their own end. And Jake had a really high expected save percentage this year. And what's happened to me in the playoffs is a combination of like the expectations, and and probably a little bit. I talked about playing him in game two. Everybody ripped on Minnesota. Right. for pulling for Gustafson, but they knew over time, yeah. they knew Gustafson, if they kept riding him, was, would have been done sooner. And, you know, I really give credit to Andre for sort of correcting the ship in game four of that series because I wasn't sure he'd be able to get it mm-hmm. back after playing double OT in Dallas. top game
0: three. Yeah, I mean, yep. talk
1: to Jaeger about Dallas. Like, that's where he had to leave the IV in his arm while playing games because he needed the hydration so bad between periods on that five OT game. It's just like just a like unreal story. We have that one too, up in Goldmag.com. And, um, but like that's a tough environment. Like, and so I don't think this is a Jake Ottinger problem. I think this is a Jake Ottinger and I haven't looked this up, but I'm willing to bet if somebody does, he's never played this many games in this many days at the national hockey league level. Like I'm pretty confident Mm -hmm. in saying that he's never played this much. It's a big ask under tons of pressure, Um, and so the performance to me has just gotten a little more inconsistent. It doesn't kill who he is as a goaltender and the talent he has. It's just, it's, it's a lot to ask. And I would suggest that, you know, for a lot of these teams, there were points along the way where you could have made a different decision rather than continuing to watch him go from 90% to 80 to 75 to 70% of, of his peak, maybe a decision to start the other allows him to reset to a hundred. And I think some teams are asking that. We saw that with Ronta going in for Game 2 for Freddie Anderson. I believe that decision was very much about that type of mm-hmm. formula. Maybe not yep. those numbers, but that idea and concept. And I think you know, more teams are going to need to ask that question because more teams have run guys into the ground and then been surprised where they don't have anything left at the end. Well, I'm mm-hmm. surprised they're starting him tonight, to be honest with you. Not because I doubt him. Because you need to win four games in this series. And I think if you can steal one with Wedgwood, you might get Jake back to 100% in Game 5 versus right. rolling him out there at whatever percentage he is right now.
0: Yeah, I think they're just viewing it as, well, he's our, he's our guy moving forward, and this series is not... Hey, he's our, our guy, noise. we got
1: a number one, we're sticking with him, has, I know, it's uh, has to started point. to become problematic well, for a lot of teams. Here's the
0: thing, regular season, he was fourth in starts, eighth in shots faced, he's the only goalie out of the top 15 to make it past round one, now obviously some of that is team effects, of course, and, and whatnot, the next guy's... Bobrovsky, I think, was like 16th in that stat. Now he faced 300 or so fewer regular season shots. You know what really 100. hurt
1: him was Wedgwood got hurt down the stretch late in the season. And they were and pushing. They, they wanted they, to get the one seed 100%, as 100%. Well. And so the inability to sort of back off his workload down the stretch because of an injury to the other guy probably exacerbated what I'm talking about right now.
0: Well, and tonight's going to be his 78th start this season. Since 2017, when he went to college in NCAA these are his games played by year, 35, 41, 42, 40, 32, and then 65 last year, including the playoffs. And so this is just uncharted territory for him, right? And, yeah. and it makes sense. And I'm not sure how that fatigue or being overworked manifests itself. I would imagine it would be in a, in in a you know, diminishing effect of like sharpness or, or technique dropping off potentially sometimes. And I think you saw that on the Barbashev goal that you and I talked about off air in game three, where... Similar play actually to what we just talked about, Bobrovsky being bailed out and making that save in the middle of the net. Ottinger goes right, left to right, completely like loses his net, overshoots it entirely. A shot in the middle of the cage beats him cleanly because he's not even in the picture anymore. And that doesn't, you know, that happens sometimes. But I wonder if that sometimes is a it's physical, it sometimes well. it's mental, yes. sometimes
1: it's your reads. All those things go off. You can start trying too hard. In ideal he conditions, he might
0: not make that same decision or play.
1: In ideal conditions, rested, uh, you know, like we've seen enough of Jake Ottinger to know that Jake Ottinger at his peak, that probably hits him in the Stars logo, right? Mm. Now, there are other elements of the read that may have been different. Yes. That's, that's why we like to talk to the goaltenders at Ingle. Yes, that's why you like cause to Because it's reads, real right? easy to go on the internet and be like, he made this mistake. Right. But there's usually a reason they did it that way. Mm. And that's why we love the pro reads because they explain why they did it. And Do
0: you, you know. ever get a, listen, man, there was, I, I, there was no read. I, I, just, oh, I, I just blanked and I didn't do um, anything right.
1: Uh, but also on saves, like uh, we just had one with Thatcher Demko where it was like a, there was a two part sequence. It was really good. Like young goalies, go check it out. Um, really good advice in there from Demko. But one of the parts was, Hey, listen, like I made the wrong read here. A guy made a pass through a seam that I didn't, it was actually Nick Cousins uh, made a pass through a seam that I didn't think was a dangerous spot because I didn't think he could make that pass. So I tipped my hat and from there it's pure, Reactive. Mm. I did not make that read. I made a different read, and now I'm scrambling. And that's that's part of the game.
0: Kevin, we got to get out of here. Producer Dom is signaling for us to go. Everyone, follow Kevin at KevinIsInGoal on Twitter and check out his work at InGoal Magazine. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Hockey As always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.